the most healthy thing you can do is make good decisions in a way that's sustainable, right? Like all or nothing mentality, you see it with dieting a lot, right? That people right. go on crazy right. diets that are like all or nothing. And you have all this momentum and energy when you start, but it gets hard to like maintain that. And then you kind of fall off the wagon and go back to your bad habits. Whereas if you had just slowly kind of like cycled in better behaviors and better decisions that were more sustainable, then you might've been able to maintain a more healthy lifestyle for longer. The same mentality should be approached with drinking too. Hi everyone and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know we are determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. And every week we tackle new topics. And I know you're going to be excited about this one because every day in practice, somebody asks me if they have to give up alcohol. Well, to break it all down, I have brought on Zach Abbott. Zach has a PhD in microbiology and immunology from the University of Michigan and holds a bachelor's degree from UC Berkeley, where he double majored in immunology and classical art and archaeology. That's an interesting combo. I want to know how those go together. Prior to starting Zbiotics, Zach worked in a clinical trial design as well as researching HIV vaccines and pursuing novel antibiotics in both academia and industry. Before his career as a scientist, he was a bartender and a rugby player. Just microbiology, immunology, architecture, bartending. We put it all together here. And he has done a lot of thinking as well as his fair share of field research on the intersection of science and lifestyle, particularly as it relates to alcohol consumption. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to chat to you about yeah. this topic. Honestly, yeah. I've a lot of Yeah, this should be fun. I'm thinking like, have I had a bartender on the show before? I think the answer might be no. So, and I'm thinking yeah. you're going to be skewed pro-alcohol. So I'm interested to see where this goes. So I wasn't kidding, you know, like I get to see amazing people in practice every, you know, every day that I'm there and alcohol is a big part of our lives, right? It's a big way that we celebrate. It's a way that we sometimes relax. And I think sort of the, the messaging out there that I'm hearing from both women and men, quite honestly, is that, oh, a couple of glasses of wine every day is, is a good thing. I think the wine industry did a really good job with that messaging. But for me, on my end, right, where I'm looking at lab work and, and digging into chemistry, I'm seeing things like candida, which is yeast overgrowth, or a lot of inflammation, or a lot of liver sluggishness. And in Chinese medicine, we call it liver stasis. So it's always like, uh, I know we need the alcohol uh, for fun, and I don't want, definitely don't want to take anyone's fun away. But like, what do we do about the effects on the body? So I'm super curious. So first of all, I, I actually majored in microbiology and immunology as well. Oh, wow. I found right. out, <laughs> I did. I found the whole thing super fascinating. And then my mind was more English and journalism. So, so again, that split brain, so to speak, but, um, but like you bartended, I never did that. And how do you, how do you reconcile all of this? What would you say to people who are sort of in this quandary? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally empathize. And, and to be clear, I would not kind of categorize myself specifically as like, you know, on the pro alcohol side right. per se. Right. It's more right. like, I think that people are making their own decisions about their lives. And I think that the most important thing is striking a balance that you can sustain, 
right? And and uh, and that, that's meaningful for you. And so for some people, not everybody, but like for some people, giving up alcohol entirely can to some extent be isolating. That might be the way that they typically socialize. Like I know if I call up some friends, the easiest thing to say is like, hey, do you want to go grab a, a beer and watch a, a game or or whatever? And you know, and there are lots of other things you can do. You can go for a hike and and you can go get food and all those things. And of course, you know, I do all those things as well, but um, you know, it's just a common part of how we socialize. And for some people, it's an important part of unwinding or or relaxing, or even if not just the alcohol itself, but just like the sort of kind of psychological triggers that happen when you're kind of enjoying a drink with friends uh, in that sort of setting. Um, and so it may not always be practical or reasonable or sustainable to completely give up alcohol. And, and that's, I, I think that that's fine. I think that the most healthy thing you can do is, is, is do make good decisions every day, right? And, 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 and focus on your health and your well-being in, in, in a way that's sustainable, right? Like all or nothing mentality is like, you see it with like dieting a lot, right? That people right. go on crazy right. diets that are like all or nothing. And yeah, you have all this momentum and energy when you start, but then you kind of like, you know, it gets hard to like maintain that. And then you kind of fall off the wagon and go back to your bad habits. Whereas if you had just slowly kind of like cycled in better behaviors and better decisions that were more sustainable, then you might've been able to maintain a more healthy lifestyle for longer. Um, and so I think that the same mentality should be approached with drinking too. And, and you're absolutely right that like alcohol, we know, I mean, it's, a, it's toxic. It's not good for you. Uh, like there's no debate on, on that. Right. But like in moderation, right. um, those, that damage can be minimal or, or, or not at all. Um, it, you know, especially if done, you know, with a lot of like healthy drinking practices and, and so therefore you can make alcohol part of a healthy lifestyle. Um, as long as you build in the right habits and then therefore it could be more sustainable as well, rather than trying to do this all or nothing kind of mentality of like, Oh, I have to give up drinking. If I want to be healthy, well, right. I can't, um, because I have a, a party I want to go to. So I guess I'm not doing that. And then you kind of make no good decisions at that point. So when you talk about like having a good environment around making that choice to drink alcohol every now and then, what are you referring to? Like, are you, you know, are there certain things that kind of should be in place so that you can indulge every now and then, like, give us a sense of what that landscape looks like. Yeah. And I would, so I would advocate for even not thinking of it as like indulging, um, like, you know, like it's more like, like, what are my, like, I think setting up a framework of things that you consider to be healthy forms of drinking, um, I think is the, is, is, is the best approach and the best strategy and the one that's the most sustainable say that like, you know, when I drink, I'm not going to drink, um, you know, more than this many drinks, um, or like, I'm not going to drink more than this many times in a week, or I'm not going to see this many drinks in a week or whatever it might be. Um, and then you sort of set up also like other rules and things that you think you can realistically follow. Um, so that like, you know, I will make sure that I never drink on an empty stomach or that I never drink more than one drink an hour um, or when I am drinking, or I make sure I always stop drinking three hours before I go to bed to make sure I can sleep well, even if I've had drinks. And so I think there are a lot of things and we can get into the kind of the details of, of things yeah, that I yeah. think are, are some good rules. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but generally speaking, I think that if you approach the mentality of drinking, like, like you, I think a healthy way of approaching dieting, which is like setting up rules for yourself that you think you can realistically follow and stick to. Um, and then you do better than having no rules and having no guidelines. And then just hoping you'll always do the right thing without actually setting any kind of expectations for yourself. And I think that becomes a healthier way to approach integrating, um, uh, you know, good decisions into your social life. Um, so much like I, I think dieting is a good example, like, you know, if you're hungry, you're going to make a bad eating decision, right? But if you make decisions when you're not hungry, and then, then, then it, it becomes a lot easier uh, to kind of follow those rules, you know? I think that's all super helpful. So I do, we do want your rules, but before we go there, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the science behind all of this. What, 
what specifically is alcohol doing to us if we're thinking more scientifically versus just saying it's bad? What, what are we seeing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be clear, I mean, this is all coming from me thinking a lot about this science and then also thinking about kind of like the other side of my life, which is like the social aspects and, and, and kind of, you know, the lifestyle I've, I've had and, and, and how do I, like you said, kind of how to reconcile those things. Yeah. And so knowing from a scientific perspective um, that alcohol, you know, when you drink kind of um, walking through kind of the metabolism of alcohol and kind of how those things affect mm -hmm. you, um, you know, you consume the alcohol and most of that alcohol is absorbed into your bloodstream um, from your, uh, from your gut. Um, and then it kind of circulates throughout uh, your bloodstream and it has different effects throughout your body. And then it's eventually processed by your liver. Um, it's processed in, in two main stages um, uh, from alcohol uh, to acetaldehyde using one enzyme. Um, and then a second enzyme uh, breaks the acetaldehyde down into acetate, which is essentially vinegar. Um, and from there, you've essentially detoxified the alcohol, obviously, or maybe not obviously. Then from there, the acetaldehyde is further metabolized into other molecules um, uh, relative to your kind of metabolism. But um, that's when kind of alcohol stops being toxic. But uh, the alcohol itself is toxic um, as well as, um, or it is a toxin, I should say. And then as well as the intermediate acetaldehyde, which is actually much more toxic than alcohol itself, but it's sort of like a necessary intermediate step to getting to acetate, which is innocuous. Um, and so that's kind of like the general, uh, gist of, of what happens when you drink alcohol. And so it's when you're dealing with like the toxic effects of alcohol, it's really your exposure to alcohol and your exposure to acetaldehyde that can be a problem. Um, and so the alcohol, uh, itself while it's circulating throughout your body and creating the effects that it creates, it's also, um, causing, you know, pendulum swings and, and monkeying around with your endocrine system. And so you have endocrine imbalance with your insulin and, and, uh, hunger, uh, uh, hormones like, uh, glargine and. Um, you have lots of effects that binds to neurotransmitters in the brain, um, and, uh, creates, you know, issues with like wakefulness and, uh, excitation. And, um, and, and so, you know, if, if you have alcohol and for instance, still in your system and in your brain while you're sleeping, it's really going to affect the quality of your sleep because it's going to constantly be pulling you out of the deepest levels of sleep. Um, and so we know that that's a problem. And so it's, it's also making effects on your hunger and your satiation. And so your decisions to eat and the way your body processes sugar from the food you eat um, are all affected by alcohol. And so all those things you can probably extrapolate to things you notice when you're drunk and then the next day. And then acetaldehyde as a separate molecule, right, is, is a really toxic molecule. Um, it binds to different proteins in your body and, and it binds to DNA directly. And so it can create lots of problems in sort of like the functioning of your cells and it's cytotoxic, meaning it can kill cells and um, it creates, it wreaks a lot of havoc in the body. Luckily, you're not exposed to a lot of acetaldehyde, but it is, in, it does end up creating a lot of kind of um, the next day misery you feel uh, sometimes uh, if, you, if you're consuming alcohol or even um, maybe you're not totally miserable, but some of those next day effects you're experiencing, um, all those things um, uh, can often be tied to a combination of like the poor sleep that you're dealing with from the alcohol and then some of the kind of toxic effects of acetaldehyde. So does acetaldehyde, and not to geek out here, but does acetaldehyde deplete glutathione? And if any of you guys have been listening to my podcast, we've had some episodes on glutathione. It's a potent antioxidant, but do we find in research that it's depleting it to a certain extent? So it's making mitochondrial function weaker overall. Is Are we seeing that? Or is that something you've seen as well? Yeah. I mean, I think there's literature to suggest that like we do see glutathione levels are stressed when you drink. And I think it's both due to the oxidation of like of alcohol and of acetaldehyde. So it's two simple oxidation reactions that require, um, you know, NAD and ADH transition, which and glutathione is kind of steps in there as well. So 
Um, there is stress put on, on glutathione. So there is a hypothesis that like, you know, supplementing your body with glutathione, um, when you drink can kind of like help that metabolism happen more quickly. Um, I, I am not personally aware, not to say it doesn't exist, but I'm not personally aware of any, um, you know, data to definitively suggest that that hypothesis has been validated, but, um, it certainly is, um, you know, glutathione is an important part of alcohol metabolism. So it, it could be, is it fair to say that alcohol is aging to a certain extent? I mean, anything that's going to cause like cell damage is, is going to be aging. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, like you, and you're, and it's creating without a doubt, it's creating inflammation, which we know is also very aging, right? Like the right. more essentially stress you're putting on your body and the more repair it's having to do, it's just wearing things down. So there's no doubt about, about that, um, for sure. But again, it's sort of like immoderate, everything is aging, right. Um, to some extent, right. We're aging, uh, right. so like, uh, in moderation, you can argue. And again, this is very, very hypothesis, um, uh, you know, uh, the same is very hypothetical. It's not um, validated in the literature, but, you know, the psychological benefits that people experience, you know, uh, could be, you know, considered as anti-aging as well. So it's not to say that, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that it's not necessarily all one thing or the other, right? That like every person is going to be a little bit different and both biologically and psychologically how they respond um, to anything they do and including, including drinking. So um, it, it's striking that right balance, I think. So how do you set, like, what is moderation? Actually, before we even get to that, is yeah. alcohol worse for women than it is for men? Like, should women be, because there were some studies early on that talked about that, and then it sort of equalized everything and said it's bad for everyone. Yeah. So is it worse for women? Do we have a harder time with it? And are there certain populations that should be more wary of it than others? Yeah, that's a super interesting question, you know, that I've never considered like in sort of like a absolute term like that. But I mean, I think you can make a biological argument that it is worse um, because, uh, you know, women have on average, like less percentage uh, uh, water like in their body. So, so they're, they're usually experiencing the effects of alcohol for longer um, because it's basically less dilute. Um, and uh, they don't process alcohol on average as quickly as men do. It's expressed less alcohol and acetyl dehydrogenase enzymes. So um, theoretically, you could say that you're being exposed to, to on average, to those toxins for longer, um, per unit you drink. That being said, I mean, I think that that's also counteracted by the fact that women typically will, will drink less volume than men because they're experiencing the effects of the alcohol sooner. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't know if you could, you, you know, if you would really see that much of a difference uh, in the damage between the two. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So but moderation I mean, sure. and sure. balance, what, what are, what does that look like? What are the rules? Like, do you judge by when you get a buzz? Do you like, what, how do you figure that out for yourself? Yeah. I, I think again, it's sort of like, to some extent, like the hard line has got to be, you know, personal experience and experimentation to, to an extent, but the general concepts, I think, uh, the one, the ones that I follow, um, I think are, you know, concepts that could be, uh, applied more, more, uh, across the, across the board. So like I say, I think one of the biggest things that people really undervalue is how important sleep is to your health and well-being and the way you feel the next day. And I think people really don't appreciate how much damage alcohol can do to the quality of your sleep. Um, and so like, for instance, if you go to bed and you're, you still have like, like say three drinks in your system, mm -hmm. um, you are probably not going to be completely like sober. Your blood alcohol is probably not going to be zero for about five or six hours um, of the, of an eight hours of sleep, um, in the best case scenario that you're actually in bed for eight hours, which means that you basically got two quality hours of sleep. And so think about staying up till 
six in the morning and then going to bed and then waking up at eight in the morning, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you're not going to feel very good. Right. And so I think that, that that is one of the biggest things is really trying to stop drinking earlier in the night. Um, and, and ideally in an ideal scenario, you, the, the goal should be to have your head hit the pillow, um, right as your blood alcohol hit zero, um, so mm-hmm. that your, your sleep quality is, is great. Um, and, uh, not affected by the alcohol. Um, so, so timing that out. And so, you know, a good rule of thumb, people often say it's one drink an hour. Um, but really the data shows it's closer to half a drink an hour is probably more realistic. Um, wow. so timing out, like when you have your last drink and knowing how many drinks you had, and then giving yourself at least an hour, if not two hours, um, to, to metabolize that last drink that you had. Um, so, so that's like a big, big rule. And in terms of, of how many drinks you have in the night, um, I think it's really watching your blood alcohol content. And again, that's hard to, you know, if you have a breathalyzer or something right. where you can measure that and right. alcohol, Excuse me. You that yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's great. But, uh, you know, not everybody's kind of like, I don't know starting. how to do that. Like, let yeah, me step yeah. away for a second. <laughs> right, right. Totally. So, um, you know, you kind of like, you might look like a weirdo. So, uh, but in general, yeah, I think again, you know, um, the, there are charts that you can look up that you know, uh, that roughly kind of give you based on your weight and your gender, um, uh, roughly what your blood alcohol would be. And what we know from kind of the literature is that typically kind of the next day effects of drinking start to really kick in, um, mm-hmm. right around where you shouldn't be driving, um, right around 0.08 to 0.1, percent blood alcohol content. And so generally speaking, if you keep your back below that, your blood alcohol content below that, um, you're probably setting yourself up for more likely to have a better next day. That being said, everybody's experience is different. I definitely have friends and have talked to, you know, lots of people who, um, say that even one or two drinks where realistically your blood alcohol is probably not getting above 0.04, uh, or 0.05 that, that they definitely are feeling things next day, which means, and that's really just a readout, right? Like what's actually happening biologically, um, you know, the damage that's creating is, is not always correlated with how bad you feel the next day. Um, so um, you know, that's only kind of a rough readout, but generally speaking, if you, you kind of, I think it's good to listen to your body and the way you feel the next day. And then also setting somewhat arbitrary limits on where you want your back to be. I mean, if you're planning on driving, I would say like, you know, having no drinks or, or setting a very hard limit, um, because, uh, you know, you put yourself in tons of risk there. Um, uh, but if you're not planning on driving, then setting limits that you feel, you know, are, are, are limits that your body responds well to. And so like, if your desire is to feel the effects of the alcohol to some extent, which I think for many people it is, that's kind of the point, uh, then, you know, what, what level or how many drinks do I have before I, I feel some of the relaxing effects or whatever it might be, or some of the social effects, um, but then don't pushing past that, uh, and making sure that, you know, kind of what those limits are. So if it's two drinks, then I have two drinks and then I have to take a break before I have any more drinks again or, or something like that. And so Kind of, I know that's not like a hard number, but does like drinking water in between your drinks help? I know a lot of people do that. They'll have yeah. an alcohol drink, glass, couple glasses of water, an alcoholic drink. Does that do anything? I mean, yeah, in the sense that like if that's a good tool for you to like to pace yourself reasonably, then I think it, it makes sense. Uh, so for for me, it's like I usually I respond better to a watch. Uh, uh, so like because uh, uh, I'll just drink the water quickly, otherwise <laughs> it's uh, yeah. uh, because I'm not thinking and I'm just sort of like going. Um, so I have to be a little bit more conscientious myself. But so I like to set it so that I never have more than one drink an hour um, and that I never exceed three drinks in a night. Um, it's sort of like my rules um, because that's based on my size and my body and how my body responds to the alcohol. Um, and if, if I want to you know, do more than that, then it has to be a conscious decision. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm saying that because of this night, I will do more. But 
that's that's sort of my limit. Um, and so I think that that works for me, but you could say like, for instance, I'll have one drink of alcohol and then I'll have two glasses of water before I have another glass of alcohol or something. So. Got it. And then the other question I get all the time is if I drink, you know, hard liquor versus wine versus beer, any differences? I know what my answer is, but any differences across those different types of, of consumption there? Yeah. So like the, the short answer is no, uh, right. that like alcohol is alcohol. Right, uh, yes. That being said, um, it, there are differences in the way you're drinking them, right? So for instance, if you are to take a shot, um, then you're getting a full drink um, in a matter of seconds, right? As opposed to if you're drinking a beer, you'll get that full drink over the course of, you know, 20, 30 minutes or right. whatever. Um, and so, so the slower the alcohol is absorbed, the better your body can keep up and the less of ex- the less the exposure is to the to acid aldehyde and alcohol. Um, so so generally speaking, a shot is worse um, because it is because you drink it more quickly. And so your liver can't doesn't isn't able to break it, it all down as, as fast. You're exposed for a longer period of time. Um, but all intents and purposes, a cocktail a glass of wine and a beer drinking the same pace are roughly going to have the same effect. There are some interesting um, things around like, like for instance, carbonation uh, 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 forces you to absorb the alcohol more quickly. Uh, But at the same time, it also fills you up more. So you might drink slower. So there's sort of like these counterbalancing things on that. (laughs) Goodness, Um, just trying to beat the system here. So what about wine? Uh, You know, there's a lot of talk with like French wines or you know, European wines are fermented more or in the oak barrels so that they have a better probiotic or microbial profile to them and therefore they're metabolized. I mean, like, is there anything to that? Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> just wine people just trying to make yeah, it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. My, my personal opinion as a microbiologist is like a hard no, but like okay. there's no, yeah. um, yeah, like there's no, like I'm, you know, or or such a minimal amount of benefit that uh, that is not worth thinking about. I think is, in my opinion, more healthy to think about alcohol as alcohol, um, okay. and then setting your kind of rules and limits on that. Yeah. So oak barrels don't matter, guys. Just note yeah. to self. They matter for your experience of it. Well, you know, I mean, and like that's really important. But right. Like, uh, I do not think they matter from a health perspective at okay. all. Okay. Yeah. But speaking of probiotics, like, what is the role of probiotics? I mean, I know like from what I see in the exam room and from our testing, like people that are over-consuming typically have candida, which is sort of where I led. And candida, for those of you who don't know, is yeast. We all have it, but there's when yeast overgrows, then we see all kinds of health implications to that. Everything from brain fog and constipation and bloating to hormone disruption. There's a whole, whole list of things. So that's what I see most frequently. What is the role of microbial health as a microbiologist you know, from your perspective in terms of metabolizing alcohol a little bit better or balancing all of this out or just starting out with a healthier gut so that when these toxins, right, kind of enter the body, we do a better job with it. What's what's on there? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot in there and I'll try not to nerd out too hard. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, like um, we know, for instance, so I, you know, I mentioned and I'll I'll circle back to the kind of the alcohol metabolism uh, uh, explanation, uh, the science there. So as, as I said, at the time, most of the alcohol you drink is absorbed directly into your blood bloodstream. And then, um, it broken down by the liver. Um, but we do know that a small amount of the alcohol you drink is actually metabolized directly in the gut in large part by your microbiome before it's absorbed into the bloodstream. And, and it's not typically discussed when we talk about alcohol metabolism, because from an alcohol perspective, it's a small percentage, maybe 10%. Um, but it's very important because 
Um, most of the alcohol that's metabolized in your gut by your microbiome is converted from alcohol into acetaldehyde, but not subsequently from acetaldehyde to acetate. Um, so you actually get a buildup of acetaldehyde in the microbiome or in the gut. Um, it's the, it ends up being a major source of acetaldehyde in the body. So blood acetaldehyde concentrations after a night of, of heavy drinking, let's say um, like five or six drinks, you might see um, 60 to 70 micromolar acetaldehyde. But colonic acetaldehyde, so the acetaldehyde that forms in the, in the gut or the colon, um, reach 300 to 500 micromolar. So much higher levels than the blood, even though it's only a minor source of alcohol metabolism. So it's, a, it's interesting to know that. Um, and that's sort of an, um, uh, dem demonstrative of the fact that like the microbiome is really important for kind of the way you feel. And it also is probably partially um, to blame or the explanation for why um, you and a friend who may roughly weigh the same um, and seem like, you know, and drink the same amount um, and eat the same things, have a very different experience of alcohol, especially the next day. Um, and, and in part, that's probably due to your microbiome or the fact that one time you drink, you didn't feel anything uh, and you were fine the next day. And then the next, uh, and then some other time you maybe drink almost exactly the same thing and you feel terrible. Um, right. And there's a lot of things that go into that. But one of the things is that your microbiome is constantly changing. And so all that is to just underscore the importance of what's happening in your gut um, as kind of the, the gateway or the entry point into your body. Um, and so when you drink, uh, constant, I mean, uh, when you drink, um, uh, um, frequently or, or I shouldn't say frequently, but like, um, on a regular basis, um, you, 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 you know, to your point about uh, Canada, I mean, you're, you're ingesting a lot of simple carbohydrates, um, mm -hmm. and, and alcohol, which are all energy sources, uh, for different kinds of microbes. Um, and so, um, you know, yeast can grow on, on very simple, on very simple carbohydrates, which, um, and they can bloom out really quickly. And so that can create really real problems and, and alcohol can kind of foster that. Um, uh, so that, that, that is probably why you've seen in your practice, um, that, that to be the case that you have like kind of Canada blooms and, um, uh, things like that. Uh, generally speaking, you're absolutely right that the best way, um, to prevent that is to have a good microbiome to begin with. Um, right. and so that, that's all the things you do when you're not drinking, um, to set yourself up to kind of have this very nice, protective, healthy layer of, uh, of the microbiome. Um, and so the best ways to do that is, is eating lots of fiber, lots of fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables of all different varieties um, and, and whole grains are all ways to get uh, different kinds of fiber. Set you up to have a very robust and diverse microbiome that is resilient to kind of temporary blooms uh, of Canada um, and, and simple, simple carbohydrates and, and alcohols. But, you know, being very clear, alcohol itself, um, right? Like we sterilize our hands, right? With, with alcohol, because alcohol is damaging uh, the microbes. And so when you drink, you are going to create shifts in your microbiome. And that's something to consider as well. Um, uh, when you drink, uh, the effects you're having on the health of your, of your gut microbiome. Gotcha. So is it helpful then? I'm just imagining everyone's going to go pop probiotics now before they go out drinking, but is it helpful to take probiotics on a, in a consistent fashion in addition to healthy foods or where do they fit, fit into the picture here? Yeah. Yeah. So this might sound strange coming from somebody who has a probiotics company, but, um, Mine are a little bit different than, than your standard one. Uh, in general, I don't think the hypothesis around probiotics as a form of gut health um, is very strong. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it's a much, much stronger hypothesis around prebiotic uh, food. So the, to distinguish the two, uh, probiotics are live bacteria uh, that you eat um, uh, in, either in your food or in a supplement. Um, and the idea being that those live bacteria go into your gut and somehow enhance the live bacteria that are already in your gut. Um, uh, as opposed to a prebiotic, which is essentially thought of, think of it as like fertilizer for good bacteria, 
or, or food for good bacteria as it's, these are fibers. Um, and so there are prebiotic supplements, uh, but generally speaking, I think the best way to get prebiotic fiber is from, from naturally from foods like uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. And so when you eat prebiotics, they feed the good bacteria in your gut and those grow out and, and form a really um, uh, protective kind of um, network um, that, that creates better gut health. So I would personally advise uh, for your for better gut health rather than taking probiotics, but I don't think I have a very strong hypothesis, taking prebiotics or even better, eating lots of different kinds of fiber in your diet. So is fiber the main source of prebiotics? What are your favorite prebiotic foods if you had to rattle them off for a second? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I like uh, lots of different kinds of vegetables and then um, uh, whole grains and beans. Uh, those, are, those are like the best ways to get. So there are, you know, hundreds of different kinds of, uh, you know, probably really realistically infinitely like different kinds of, of prebiotic fiber. So it's not, fiber is not all the same. They're all very different and each different like way that, so basically fibers are just like um, a bunch of sugars stuck together in different shapes yeah. mm-hmm. and each way that they're joined to each way the sugars are joined together is a, is, is different enough that a certain bacteria can recognize it. And then another bacteria can't. Um, and so you're trying to feed the good bacteria in your gut. You want lots of different kinds. You want lots of different ways that those sugars are stuck together. So lots of different kinds of fiber is the best way uh, to feed. And so if you're just to take like a pre- uh, prebiotic supplement, you might not get that many different kinds. So the best, in my opinion, is yeah, like beans. Um, I like uh, uh, garbanzo beans personally, and uh, hummus is a good one for that. Uh, edamame and, and soybeans have, have good fiber in them. And um, and broccoli and cabbage and cruciferous vegetables are all really good. And then carrots and, um, and then whole grains like, uh, oats and, and whole wheat, um, all, all have really good uh, fiber in them. So those are, those are things that I kind of, or chia and flax, those are other things I use. Uh, mm-hmm. fiber. So all those are really good ways for you to kind of support a healthy microbiome. That's what I recommend. Awesome. Well, tell us about your company. Tell us about Zbiotics and, you know, what is, do they produce prebiotic sort of supplements or what's, uh, what's the premise behind that? Yeah, so Zbiotics is, is a little different. So we basically take probiotic bacteria, so the good, safe bacteria that you eat. Uh, but like I say, I, I don't think there's a really strong hypothesis for that really benefiting your microbiome uh, on its own. And so what we did is we take those bacteria and then we engineer them to do something useful for you um, and, and perform a function that, you, that uh, would benefit you in some way. And so our first product is a probiotic that's engineered to break down acetaldehyde. Um, which as we were talking about is like a really important part of kind of the way you feel the next day. Um, and a lot of that acetaldehyde forms in the gut. And so we basically engineered a safe bacteria that you likely already eat every day of your life. It's on fresh fruits and vegetables in the environment. Um, and we just had it perform this one extra function of breaking down acetaldehyde the same way your liver does using the same type of enzyme that your liver does. Um, so you take our probiotic bacteria before, before you drink, uh, then that probiotic will, will, um, basically help your body deal with the acetaldehyde that forms in your gut while you're drinking, um, so that it doesn't get absorbed in the bloodstream and wreak havoc throughout your body. Um, so that's kind of, uh, our approach, um, which is really unique. Um, it's actually the only genetically engineered probiotic to exist on the market. We were the first one when we launched the world's first ever. Um, and so, um, you know, it's a very different approach to kind of, um, both the probiotic and I, um, probiotic industry. And then also to this kind of age old question, uh, about like, how- I love, I love that you took your bartending and your microbiology background and merged them together to create a product for folks so that they could drink. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you, know, <laughs> you know, I love that. I, That's awesome. But so. It was all about like wanting people like, like right. this is like my dilemma, right. That like, I really, you know, value my health and I want to make all the best decisions I can. Um, and so I make good decisions. I try always to make good decisions about how much I drink 
And, you know, when I went to bed and, and in graduate school, I was always like, you know, looking for, you know, going through the literature and trying to find things I could do to help myself do better if I'm going out and having drinks with my friends, um, which was an important part of grad school. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there wasn't anything good out there. And, and the more research I did, the more I realized like this is really related to acetaldehyde or at least a large, like a, a way we can make a big dent in this problem is by attacking the acetaldehyde. Um, and so I thought like, you know, I could build this like with the, with the skills I'm learning right now. And so um, it was really kind of like, to be clear, the first of many, like we, we have lots of ideas of things we're going to be genetically engineered probiotics to do to benefit you. Um, that was kind of like the first one. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, this has been fascinating, honestly, because I think no one ever really, we just hear alcohol is bad. We don't really break down the science or what it's doing, you know, overall to the liver and to the gut and what the health effects of those are. And even how to navigate it. And you're right. Most people have an all or nothing mentality. And then the ones that don't want to give it up, they just block the information, right? Cause they're like, I have to give everything up. So I'm just not going to do this. So hopefully this is encouraging for everyone trying to maintain balance and trying to find a happy medium and be able to celebrate and use alcohol in an appropriate way. So I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. If anyone watching or listening today wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, so we have a lot of information, obviously, about our product, but uh, even more uh, on our blog around alcohol and tips for safe drinking and, and all kinds of stuff, you know, unrelated. Uh, if you just want to learn more at zbiotics.com uh, on our blog. So uh, that, that's a great place to go to just kind of get more information about kind of healthy, responsible drinking behaviors. And, um, and so I, I recommend kind of doing that. Or, you know, if you shoot us an email, um, you know, with any questions you have or anything like that at uh, info at zbiotics. Um, you know, we get lots of questions about kind of alcohol and alcohol safety and, uh, and how, how it metabolizes. So if you have further questions or anything, please feel free to kind of shoot us emails and, and we'll, we'll do our best to answer any of those kind of questions too. Wonderful. Well, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it so much. And for everybody else watching and listening to this episode, remember you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. And I will see you guys next time.